Welcome to No Guitar is Safe, everyone. Thanks for listening. You know, there are two different kinds of people in this world, people who have not yet heard of Jake Shimabukuro and people who have had their minds completely blown by Jake Shimabukuro. He's that good, I tell ya. Wow. Check it out, though. I gotta really sincerely thank Audio-Technica for presenting today's episode with Jake. Audio-Technica has the new E-Series in-ear monitoring headphones that every musician should check out. And you can win the top of the line E70 model. This thing's got everything you need. Most importantly, three balanced armatures. These drivers can make it so accurate inside your skull. Best tone. You probably will just be like, wow, did I ever use monitor wedges blasting in my face? It's a very sophisticated, evolved, brilliant way to go. They also have the E50, which is half the price at 200 bucks, or even the E40 if you wanna get in the game for $99. These are true state-of-the-art stuff from a company that's been building microphones and headphones for five decades, 50 years. That's exactly as long as Guitar Player Magazine, who of course is very much associated with this show, has been around. So please head to guitarplayer.com slash audio dash technica to put your name in the hat, so to speak. No strings attached. You might win an E70. That's guitarplayer.com slash audio T-E-C-H-N-I-C-A. All right, let's start the show and soon jam with Jake. No guitar is safe. Hey there, welcome to 2017. It's the first episode of the year. No Guitar is Safe podcast. Before we get started, can we all please rise for the national anthem played on a ukulele? That is Jake Shimabukuro, the Jimi Hendrix of the ukulele. As Matt Blackett from Guitar Player Magazine described Jake when Jake burst on the scene back around 2005, at least that's when we noticed him, he came to our offices and fried our brains. Now Jake Shimabukuro is headlining concert halls all over the world. Just him and his ukulele, as he says it, or I'm trying to say it, He's from Hawaii, so he says it the real way. Now all kinds of music journalists call him that same moniker, the Jimi Hendrix of the ukulele, because Jake has just taken it to such new heights, pushed the boundaries, and he's just so darn talented. It just kills me when I see him play. I'm sure you'll agree if you check him out, you're definitely going to want a ukulele after you hear this episode if you don't have one. And please join me with a sincere thank you to Audio-Technica and their E-Series in-ear monitoring headphones for bringing you this amazing episode. Yeah, Jake is going to show you how to do a lot of that. All that strumming stuff, he's going to show you. He's going to show you how to get cool chords because of the ooks cool tuning. He's also going to show you how the ukulele is tuned just like the top four strings of a guitar. Almost. Yeah, Jake Shimabukuro, man. I sure hope to see him playing at a big stadium doing the national anthem someday. Are you with me? Let's have him do the Super Bowl this year. 
Jake is a complete master at arranging great songs for ukulele. Jake is going to show you pretty much everything you need to know to get started on your ukulele journey. We'll hear some of his new album in a second, but we've got to hear a little bit more Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, come on. Mamma Mia, Jake is a badass. We're even going to learn how Bruce Lee and Michael Jordan tie into his playing. Before we go any further, just want to mention that it's the 50th anniversary of Guitar Player Magazine this year. Yeah, Guitar Player Magazine first came at you in 1967. And you can bet that Michael Melinda, the editor-in-chief, the longest-running one, will come at you with some cool stuff this year to celebrate, along with senior editor Art Thompson and maybe myself and maybe even Matt Blackett. Now, Jake has expanded to use pedals now, which is really cool. He gets cool effects, etc., as you can hear on his new album, Nashville Sessions. This is a cool song off Nashville Sessions called Hemiola Blues. Oh, yeah. Again, you can help out the podcast by heading to guitarplayer.com slash audio technica or to the Facebook page for No Guitar Is Safe or to my Twitter account where I will post the link again. I am your host, Jude Gold, and you know, a couple of you have been nice enough to ask me if I'm ever going to be interviewed. And you know, this show is not about me, but guess what? I am totally interviewed on Guitar Speak Podcast, the new episode of Guitar Speak Podcast with Matt Wakeling, great guy from Australia, asked some very thoughtful questions. I like him. And he let me play a bunch of guitar in the show, so that was cool. In other news, Josh Smith, who you heard on an earlier episode of this podcast, great blues player. He has a new album out. The very end of this episode, I'm going to play you a new song from Josh Smith's record. The record is called Still. So yeah, there's a reason George Harrison handed everybody an ukulele as they walked in the door, because it's such a great instrument, and you're going to learn everything you need to know about it. So thank you very much for supporting this show. Let's head down to Cerritos, California, to the Cerritos Performing Arts Center. We're going to meet Jake backstage where he's got his ukulele out and his pedal board. And we open the show where he's playing a little bit of a great Beatles song while my guitar gently weeps. There's some George Harrison for you. No guitar is safe. Thank you. 
awesome. Man, I know you could just take that to the moon and back and, and I've been seeing you do that for years and so glad you suggested maybe starting off with a little bit of that. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, I mean, I was a huge George Harrison fan growing up, you know, because uh, also he loved the ukulele. And, you know, that was really the song that kind of started all of this for me. I mean, it was a, a video clip on YouTube, you know, of me playing that in Central Park and, and went viral. And um, yeah, tell me that about that moment when someone told you once you, hey, you're on YouTube and you're like, what, yeah. what happened there? Um, Gosh, yeah, I think I sh- when, when we met years ago, I think I shared that story with you about, you know, uh, well, because back then, this was, what, over 10 years ago, because this was back in 2005, so I didn't even know what YouTube was at the time, you know, they were just getting started out, and um, and I was in Central Park, I mean, well, I was in New York uh, to, do a, uh, to do a show, it was a Hawaii-sponsored, you know, event, and, uh, and since I was there, there was a, a group um, that a group of guys that had a TV show called Ukulele Disco, and they invited me on their show. You know, they wanted to interview me and have me play a song. So I thought, oh yeah, that'd be cool. So you know, I recorded it. We we did it in Central Park, and I was working on an arrangement of while my guitar gently weeps. So I played that, and uh, and then aired on TV, and I went back home to Hawaii and. Uh, and yeah, like a few months later, some friends of mine that were going to school on the mainland, you know, they emailed me and they were like, hey man, people have been passing around this video clip of you playing, you know, in Central Park. I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, it's, it's like it's like circulating the campus and all that. And then so they sent me the link and I clicked on it and it was, you know, YouTube. And there, there I was, you know, playing the playing while my guitar actually weeps. And I, I remember thinking to myself, wait, I don't understand how this is working, you know, because back then, you know, you couldn't just email a video to someone and there weren't sites where you could just, I mean, do things like that. So it was, uh, I mean, it was an eye-opening experience for me and definitely it was, uh, you know, it was the thing that uh, prompted this whole touring career for me. Oh, well, it's certainly amazing to see where you've gone because uh, like I pull up out here, last time I was here, first of all, this is a huge room you're playing. Just so wonderful that you're you're doing this. Last time I was here was for Joe Bonamassa concert oh, and yeah. interview. And then, you know, I pull up and it's just, there's something a little funny about seeing a giant tour bus out back with a big trailer for a for, ukulele, for player. ukulele player. Yeah. <laughs> who's, who's traveling with you right now? Oh, man. So we have, uh, so I have my bass player. His name is Nolan Verner. He's out of Nashville. And great, great bass uh, session bass player, and uh, we just recorded an album together called Nashville Sessions. So it was like a more of a trio record, you know, with drums, bass, and ukulele. And um, and I have uh, we have our lighting director, uh, also Nashville based, and um, our front of house engineer and tour manager. And then we have uh, someone who helps with all the merch, and we have uh, um, uh, another person who takes care of all the you know. PR marketing stuff and then we have our driver so yeah so it's seven of us on the road that's fantastic man it's yeah it's incredible because I remember when you showed up at guitar player offices that day yeah it's funny you should mention YouTube I think it started their first headquarters were not far from our original location and then their new headquarters is same distance next to our new location (laughs) blah 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 blah. and I love that you mentioned George Harrison because when I saw Paul McCartney one of the most moving moments for me was he told a story. He said, every time I'd go over to George Harrison's house, the first thing he would do is give each guest that walked in the door a uke or, or an uke, as you might say. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uke is fine. Yeah. And he would, uh, let, he'd like say, let's play. Let's mm. have a song. And uh, I was wondering if you, like, there are obviously are a lot of guitar players listening. And uh, a lot of them are, have been playing guitar for years, if not decades. 
but some of them have never tried a uke. I personally have just started gigging recently. I had yeah. some duo where somebody wanted uke, so I'm playing uke very uh, amateurly probably, but oh, that's so great awesome. for melodies. Uh-huh. Would you offer some tips for a, you know accomplished guitar players that want to get into ukulele? Like, uh, what what should they look for when they want to make their first purchase? Maybe. Well, well, I think the um, I I think the the cool thing for guitar players, you know, is that it's so easy for them to jump on the ukulele, you know, because uh, for a guitar player, all you have to do is think, okay, if I put a capo on the fifth fret of my guitar and I just played, you know, the four strings closest to the ground, one, two, three, and four, and if I played that, everything except for that fourth string, you know, is exactly like playing the ukulele, you know, uh, except the fourth string would be an octave lower. So if you cabled the fifth fret of your guitar and you started with the highest string, that would be your A note, which is the open string on the ukulele. Then the next one would be E, the next one would be C, then the fourth one would be a G, but it would actually be a high G, so it would jump up like this. Right, right? So, I, so if I'm holding the guitar, it's... So you got the low, the low <laughs> G there, right? And mine goes up so so that's the only thing for guitar players is i think if, if they're when they're playing something they're not used to the third yeah. string being the lowest note you know and, the, and the, the two high strings are on the outside basically and the two low strings are in the middle so i think that's the only thing that throws them off but other than that you know the the same uh chord positions and all, all of that they're they're uh you know they they look exactly the same yeah. but just that that higher fourth string, that octave higher, you know, it changes the voicing of it, right? So, but. And what blew my mind when I, when you came by the offices, again, this must have been like 2005 or something, yeah. was you were so kind that you let us all play your, your main uke. Oh, yeah, uke. yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, it, I was so struck by how solid and professional and how much string tension there was, like the, inst- the quality, like people don't necessarily realize how great a ukulele can be mm. just like a fine martin or taylor or gibson or anything can you tell us about oh, your model thank you. and yeah well this and is what a, strings you use um and sure this this ukulele was uh was made by the kamaka family back home in hawaii and uh they were the family who uh first started to manufacture ukuleles and this year is their 100th anniversary so uh, as a family business, so they're going on four generations of, of, of ukulele makers. And, um, and, you know, growing up in Hawaii, I mean, this was, this was like the Excalibur of, of ukuleles, you know, for us. I mean, it was always, always my dream, you know, to, to play their instruments. And I was very fortunate because my very first ukulele when I was four years old was a kamaka because my mother had one from the time she was a teenager. So I was very lucky, you know, from the very beginning, I was already playing the best, you know, and, um, and it was great because it just inspired me to play. It inspired me to want to pick it up. You know, the instrument was so gorgeous. It was, it was made out of a uh, koa wood and, you know, and it was a standard size ukulele. Um, the one that I play today is an, is a kamaka still, but it's a four string tenor. So you have a little bit more, uh, you know, normally the standards back in those days only had 12 frets. That was it. It didn't have beyond 12 frets, you know. So, uh, but now the, the, the more recent standard ukuleles, you know, they, they go beyond the, the 12 fret. Um, so the tenor, I like the tenor because I remember there was, there was one song that I wanted to play and I needed that. 
I needed that high B flat and I didn't have it on the, on the standard, you know, back then. So it always sounded like a muffed note, you know, because I didn't have a fret to play that high B flat. Um, I needed a 13th fret. So that's when I, I, I wanted to get a tenor, you know, because the tenor, you know, well, my, my tenor here has was 15, 16, 17, 18 frets, right? So I have, I have a, um, an E flat up here, which is, that's my highest note, my absolute highest note. So, so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's nice to have that extended range, you know, because I have more than little more than two octaves now. Right. You know, um, and then, uh, and then the, the instrument is just a little larger. It's a little bigger. So, um, it's a little more comfortable for my, for my hands and, you know, for my body to hold. Um, and then, you know, and they're all tuned exactly the same, you know, the tenor is tuned exactly like the standard. Um, and then as far as strings, I like, um, I use the Dario strings. I've been using the Dario strings for, um, forever. You know, I, me too. Oh yeah. I <laughs> see the Dario. Right. Um, but I, I used to work in a music store, uh, back home in, in Hawaii. So I was very fortunate because I had access to, I mean, all the different string makers and, you know, so I've, I've experimented with everything from like, you know, um, you know, all kinds of gut strings from, from Europe. You know, I've experimented with steel strings on my ukulele. I've experimented with like, you know, brands like Savarez and Hanabak and, you know, and all that. And, and there's no shortage of, of string makers today, you know, but even with like oud strings and all of that. And, um, but I've found that I've, I've always loved the, the Dario, the pro art, you know, series, um, their classical guitar strings. So what I would do is I would take certain tensions, you know, from the classical guitar strings and from their classical guitar set. And I would put together my own ukulele, you know, set. So just to make back in those days, they didn't have ukulele strings that had the right tension that I liked. So I, I would have to buy two or three sets of guitar strings, like classical guitar strings to make one set you know, for my ukulele. So I, I'd be spending like at least 15 to $20, you know, to buy a set, you know, for, for my ukulele. And, uh, and luckily I worked in a, in a, you know, in a guitar, in a music store. So I could, you know, I could get, you know, this discounted strings. And I was actually later on, I realized that I can order singles. What, you know, so I started ordering single strings from them. And, uh, and you know but yeah that's always been is there you know, a set now that you use or are you still yeah use singles? so uh no so now they they put together um they put together several sets you know with their pro art uh series and their their tenor set is is what i use the so pro you, art tenor set and yeah. that's the exact right gauges if that's someone were that's to buy the those. exact same gauge that i that i use now so now i can just order you know a normal tenor ukulele set with the same with the same gauges and the exact same strings that i i used to use now, of course, I want to hear some more of it, if that's possible. Anything else you'd like to play oh, at the yeah. moment? Or you have done yeah. so many great arrangements of oh, different songs. You've got your original songs. you got the new albums, all original yeah. experimentations. The Bohemian well, Rhapsody is insane. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good one. I, I could do a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, That'd be killer. Let's see. Uh, well, this, well, this one, okay. It's kind of a long... I'll try to shorten the arrangement a little bit, but... But, you know, uh, when I was working on, on this tune, I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, what would Bohemian Rhapsody sound like, you know, on the ukulele? Because there's so many different parts. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I wonder if, if it'll translate, you know, with just four strings, basically, right? And uh, so I remember 
the first the first uh, part section of the song that I that I started with, and and it's and the only reason I wanted to start with this section was because because I I was kind of um, searching other covers of of this of this tune, and I've always felt the thunderbolts and lightning part was always the hardest, you know, to to grasp. I mean, when you listen to the original, I mean, there's just so many things happening at the part, you know, during that part, Thunderbolts and Lightning, very, very frightening. Their voice, I mean, the voice leading on that and where everything is going, I mean, it's just, it's so intense. And I told myself, if I can't find a good voicing, you know, for that or a good or a good way just to make that part sound right because I knew that was going to be the hardest part of the song for me. So I and I told myself if I can't find something to work for that where I'll be satisfied, then it's not worth doing. You know, work working on it. So I remember I started with that and it took me forever. But you know, but now that when you look at it, it's so simple. Yeah. So. So that, this whole transition. To this, you know, oh, right there. That, that whole transition there, I worked on that forever. Like, you know, just trying different keys, trying different, um, uh, you know, different voices. Uh, that one took me forever make that sound right this to here and this to there you know right that. and then this you know the resolve here and I remember working on that forever and then once I got that <laughs> once I got that done then I was like okay great so now so now I had that key which which was which worked out perfect because um, because see, I originally tried it, you know, tried to keep it in the original key, but it was, uh, yeah, it, it didn't work out. It couldn't, especially when I got to this part, you know. You know, I needed that, I, I knew I needed that to be, you know, uh, in a key where I could take advantage of the of the lower register of the ukulele. So so this, this I, I, I moved it, I moved it down here to this B flat, you know, over the thunderbolts and lightning because then, then that would take me into the uh, the big rock part. You know, would take me into C, which yeah. would which would work out great because now I got the big da 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 da, da right. <laughs> So then, so then I started working backwards. Okay, so now, so that part will be okay. Got the thunderbolts and lightning, and then I went back to the, uh, you know, to the, to basically not the intro but the A section of the tune, which now, so that takes me to the key of G, right? Which worked out great because now, you know, when when. They play it when Freddie Mercury plays the piano and he reaches over, you know, that iconic yeah. video of him playing the piano, reaching over to, to play that high E note, right? Or the sixth, you know, it worked out because now I got the open harmonic for that, right? And then, right. And then, so then from there, then I knew, okay, working, working the intro, you know, 
gotta, this part here, I remember. Easy come, easy go. Yeah. I made the mistake of doing this. Um, uh, Completely parallel? Yeah, so I thought the, uh, you know, for some reason I, I overlooked that. And on the original recording that I did of it, that's how I played it. But it's actually, actually the melodies in the fifth. Right? As opposed to. So, oh man, and I wish I could take it back. Has anyone, has anyone ever busted you for that? Uh, no, so, not, not, not before I found it, but uh, yeah, luckily, but, um, but I, yeah, I was well, so... Well, that's spoken like a true transcriber or, you know, I, I was, you're dedicated. You know, every, time I, every time I hear that part now on the, on the recording, I'm like, I cringe, because I'm like, no. So, I was, so, you know, so of course now I play it correctly. Um, and then... Uh, then what's um, right, and then um, oh, and then that—that's the other part. Uh, uh, um, and then I think I, instead of doing the uh, wait, what was I playing there? Yeah, I think I added the flat nine recently. Beautiful. Yeah. But then the tricky part really came with that rock opera section, right? Because yeah, now, even... now I'm here, right? I'm in. Um, wait, no, sorry. Oh, sorry. Let me tune up. Sorry, new strings. Yes, nylon strings really do seem like they almost stretch. Like I mean, yeah. steel strings don't really stretch. Okay. All right. So, uh, so now that takes me to the. The G, the, you know, here we're in F sharp now. But it worked out perfect because I wouldn't have been able to do that riff, you know. This, I, right. I need this. Where I'm using my lowest string, right, yeah. the open C and the yeah. open A here. So if, if this were in, in, you know, any lower, I wouldn't have been able to voice that properly, you know. This is Bard. up already right me, me. it goes up there but what I did was in the arrangement I kind of cheated it because I needed to build it properly so uh, for for the instrumental version of course so I, I, I actually add the third in so I go rude. 
and favorite parts. So I, I that that arrangement though took it took a long time you know just not not just to um, well first of all to find the right key and then to kind of be able to work backwards and you know and 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 it was more of that thing of not what it, it, the the challenge with this arrangement was there was just so much to work with but you have such limited strings right so it was more pruning rather than adding. You know, when you're doing arrangements, you're always thinking, oh, maybe I can add the ninth here, or maybe I can add this, or, you know, or I want to change this up. But with this song, it was more about what can I strip away, what can I omit, yeah. because I can't possibly play it all, right? Yeah, you distilled it down to the perfect elements. And it's, I mean, it's such an incredible composition, given that it's from a mainstream rock band that sold millions and millions of records, that it would be mm. so complex and you play it like Chopin or something. It's oh. really beautiful <laughs> the way you deliver it, man. Oh, thank you. And uh, you know, when I've the limited time that I've had on Ooks is uh, I've noticed this one thing that's really cool is you end up getting melodies that kind of transfer between the high string and the what we would consider the low string. Mm. But on your instrument, it's actually a high string because mm -hmm. uh, they're similar kind of in pitch. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're getting melody notes down there because it's so high. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's what, and that's one of the the cool things about it is uh, you know having having two high strings now, right? That are just a whole step apart because I got this G on the fourth and then this A on the first string. Having that, you know, it's so easy like uh, to do things like you know minor second runs. You know, I, I exactly. they're just a half step apart. You know, so the, those those kinds of things are great. Uh, having that open G, I can I can you know I get all these great little. Void. you know keeping that tension there or i can do things where like uh you know uh with th these kinds of um little riffs where yeah 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 you know those kinds of things kind of more more like banjo type rolls but you know you can really really utilize that fourth string and another thing one of the one of the things that i love most about having that fourth string is the idea of that kind of campanella style of playing where i could play like say like a you know like a d minor scale i can play you know yeah, everything that's... on a different string yeah, yeah. get that yeah. cascade sound that, yeah that very cascade like sound so um you know i could do like a, you can do a, uh, you know, 
because to get that same the same riff on a guitar you'd have to play you know you'd yeah. have to do this right you have to really stretch out your hand but on the ukulele it's within three frets you know all yeah. on a different string so yeah, this, yeah so if you play that again that three note thing using the lowest string for you which is a high string it's mm -hmm. like the second note is on the lowest string right yeah the, se the second note is on the fourth string so i got my a here then my next ascending note is actually on the fourth string so i got second string fourth string first string yeah and then and then the other nice part is like when i voice uh traditional chords um traditional voicings you know my the pattern is always the lowest string well the usual case not not in every case but the usual case is the the lowest string is always the third and then this, the, the next string up is the second. And then the next string up is the fourth. Yeah. And then the high string is on the, is on the first. So you got this great uh, arpeggio, ar arpeggiated pattern where you can play inside, then outside. See? Yeah. You know, that kind of sound. You know, um, you can do like, uh, like more in a 6-8. that kind of that kind of playing so yeah so there's that's you know a lot of people will say that they'll call the high, having the high fourth string a, a disadvantage you know no way because uh because of the lack of range but there's so much that you no, can to do me with that's that. the whole magic of of the ukulele yeah one, one of the ways that you get some people how does he get so many different chords out of four strings mm. it's because you're getting all these voicings that I mean, it's genius for creating great voicings, including close voicings, which, like you said, on a guitar, yeah, you stretch exactly. your hand into a. <laughs> you can get like those clustered, those yeah. cluster voicings, you know, and uh, and I mean, even like something like this, you know, you know, you could never get this voicing on the guitar. Yeah, you know, you're, <laughs> I mean, you're spanning is, like nine frets there. Yeah, but it's so beautiful, yeah. I mean, this yeah. is like a more of a mandolin type of voicing. So you can get all of that kind of movement, um, you know, having that that high fourth string there. And it's so damn portable. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, people think the guitar is a good yeah. beach guitar, a good beach instrument. But I mean, come on, this thing you can take anywhere. It's just like it's an undiscovered thing. There's just only there's two types of guitar players: guitar players who play ukulele and those who haven't experimented with it yet. <laughs> Once you experiment with one for real, you just got to have one. Wow, yeah. It's so true. Oh, that's awesome. So you've got this great new record, Nashville Sessions, where mm. you really seem to be pushing the sonic boundaries of yeah. what people have known. And uh, and you do a lot of jamming on it, too. Maybe let's jam a little bit on something. That would be improvise awesome. Or something. Yeah, sure. Just for a second, and then uh, you can maybe show us in, yeah. if you want to kick um, in some of those pedals. You're sitting in front of a complete pedal board <laughs> yeah so i got um i know we share the same uh the same tech 21 uh piece of gear here this is the um the richie kotzen uh fly rig and i i have that one uh i right before it i have a a, a jam pedal it's their um their tube dreamer so that's where i get my um my distortion sound i'm gonna click that off for a bit yeah Nice warm. 
It's be just a nice warm sound and uh, you can add the, the micropog in there and that kind of Great combination. You can use the pog by itself. The thing that turned me, uh, that blew me away with this pog, and uh, it was actually Jerry Douglas who turned me on to the micro pog. But you can play chords. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Like I, I, I mean, I've used octave pedals in the past, and you know, and the tracking has always been challenging with the nylon strings and the you know piezo pickups. But the tracking with the with the micro pog is not. Not, not an issue at all. Yeah, yeah that's so. a great pedal, and, and you don't have to get the big giant one anymore to get a lot of you know. Yeah, that's such yeah. A convenient uh -huh. thing and from electroharmonics. Yeah, it's 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 such a nice pedal, and this pedal actually um, inspired the sounds that I got on the new record, and the reason for that is because on the Micropog. Uh, you have basically three knobs. You have a dry for your dry signal, you have a, a sub-octave, and you have an upper octave, right? The octave up. So so at, at any point, you know, you can you can turn one of those higher, and so you can get more of the sub-octave, more of the upper octave, or you can turn the upper octave off, just have the sub-octave, and then you can play with the dry signal. So I realized that, wow, man, it's such a great sound. If I turn them all up, big right so when i was in the recording studio in nashville i thought man it would be cool if i could replicate that sound but with real instruments you know so nice. basically what i did was um i took a i had my tenor which would represent the dry signal then i got a soprano and i tuned it really high you know, and use the capo so that I could get the upper octave with that. And then I got a baritone uke and I tuned it as low as possible so that I could I could get the, the lower octave of what I was. So everything that I was playing on the tenor, you know, I, uh, well, not everything, but certain things, I could play the lower octave on the baritone, right. the exact same thing in unison, and then I could play the upper octave on the, on the, uh, on the soprano or the standard size uke. So on the album, you'll hear, you know, you'll hear parts where the ukulele sounds really thick, and that's because the tenor's playing, you know, one octave, but then the baritone is also playing under it, playing the lower octave, and then the, the, uh, um, the what do you call it? the standard is playing the upper octave. So there are some parts where it actually almost sounds like, someone asked me like, who's playing the synth? You know, like the synth yeah. sound, but it's actually that. three ukuleles playing together at the same yeah. time. What's, let's hear that. What song was that? Uh, that was a song called, uh, well, there's several songs where, where you can hear it. One is a song called uh, Tritone. Uh, the ending of a song called Motown. Mm -hmm. 
also you can hear you can hear it um there's a song called uh, Celtic Tune where you can you can hear, you know, all of that. So you hear this really high pitched instrument, you know, and you're like, wait, what is that? It almost sounds like a hammer dulcimer sometimes, you know, uh, like on the upper harmonics of it. And uh, but it's actually the standard ukulele. human pog <laughs> yeah exactly that's what yeah. i should have called the album yeah the pog session like what's a pog and then, and then it worked out great because in a live setting in a yeah. live setting i have the pog to to replicate what's on the record i love that a piece of gear inspired yeah, yeah. you to change the way you perform as a human with no effects yeah that's isn't trippy that, isn't that, yeah. it's kind of the reverse right yeah it's it's the no, reverse it's way of thinking totally true. you ever do that echo trick like we do the dotted eighth. Oh yeah, I can't do it with this delay. It's uh, it's a little too. I found warm, a way to replicate but, that by just uh -huh. hammering on. Like you know how it's, if you play yeah. this, and then you get. Oh, that's cool. You get slap. You know, that's like that kind awesome. of stuff. Yeah. Just like it was like imitating the pedal, which is wow. sometimes a piece of gear will inspire you so yeah, much that yeah, you yeah. end up. That's cool, man. Or people using the tone knob as a wah. I mean, so, so what are you doing on that again? You're just, it's bonehead. Just hit one note. Yeah. That's uh -huh. like a, the high note of an octave, and then okay. with the first finger hammer on the low note, then and then pick the low note and hammer on the high note. Sorry. So back and forth. Uh -huh. So it's pick, hammer, That's pick, cool. and you can just go. Anyway, I mean, oh, and then sometimes yeah. I, on electric guitar especially, you can, you can slap it or yeah. get like harmonics or something. Yeah. That's really cool. Anyway, I'm, I like that, man. Stuff. I'm going to work on that. But Yeah, but well, yeah. let's, let's yeah. jump something. Yeah, it's anything, you know. Yeah, what could see. be a tune? Um, do you know um, Come Together? Sure. So, yeah. yeah? I, I do it in, in D minor. Does that work for you? Or what, sure. what key do you usually do it in? Maybe I'll drop the D. Yeah. Then, yeah, let me turn this off. We don't need that. Let's try one. Come together. Do you sing too? Yeah? Yeah. I'm not going to make people listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's try that. One, two, three. Oh, yeah, yeah. You start. You do it. Oh, no. I'm following you.
There's that, that, that minor second thing like that again. There you go. That's awesome. Uh, that's cool, man. So tell me what you're going Dude, for. Man, you got such a great groove, man. Oh, it's so shit. awesome. That's Thank all. you. That's no, one I'm of the things, you know, it's so like hard. Um, like for me, you know, it's just like, just trying to like find a good groove on the uke, you know? It's like, and I don't know if it's... No, people have been like in love with your groove thing. since, oh, that, since that, that Central Park video. I mean, yeah. you just started grooving and that was, oh, yeah. Thanks, man. All that strumming. Thank what you. is your advice for someone who, like with the strumming hand? How should they Gosh. start out? Like you're so effortless. I see you using your thumb, your fingers or calling yeah. in the harp harmonics. It's just all like one motion, but you know, I kind of come from the, like, a. Uh, kind of like the 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 marching band <laughs> it's kind of, i know it sounds really strange but i kind of come from a marching band background because in high school i played i played snare drum you know in the marching band so a lot of it was that kind of you know this kind of i mean that's that's how i feel a lot of my drums you know it's like it's like uh what, what, awesome. we used, what we used to do at football games you know you know like that kind of stuff so I just kind of applied that, uh, you know, to whatever, whatever, whatever I'm playing, you know, even like that. I mean, that uh, again, if I'm, if I'm trying to groove, you know, or something, you know, you know, it's the. snare drum kind and of right rhythm there thing. your thumb and your index finger are it's almost like you're holding a pick but you're not yeah that's exactly like what i'm doing so uh so it's, yeah it's like if you're holding a pick um then my downstroke will be my index finger you know and the re and then my upstroke would be my thumb so the reason for that is because on the downstroke i get the nail the backside of the nail on the index finger and right. on the upstroke i get the backside of the nail on the thumb right so that cool. way i get a little more consistency on the up down and the upstroke yeah the tone you know? is similar and then the other thing that i like to do is sometimes uh when i want to change the color of the strum then i i open my hand like this and then the downstroke is with the thumb but the flesh of the thumb and then the upstroke is the inside the flesh of the finger so you get this is with the nail the two outside this is with the with the flesh you know so awesome. you get two very different different sounds and it works nicely like uh like i'll do that in songs where maybe for the the first time around, I might use the inside of my flesh and the second, the, the inside of my fingers and the second time around, I use a thumb so I get a little more attack and it gives it a little, little more oomph to it. So like if I'm playing something like, a, this is the inside skin. And it sounds so good. Second time, I'll use the uh, nail. Yeah, so 
so it just gives it you know the second go around gives it a different color a different kind of attack makes it a little more interesting you know so that's yeah so that's kind of how i dude how satisfying is it to play that you know through a big pa system and concert hall having oh, it's that? awesome <laughs> it is so awesome and i tell people you know of course it's uh you know because you hear people say things all the time like man i just i just love playing and you know but the reason like we love touring is because it's like we get to test ride it's it's like going to a car dealership and getting to test ride a you know a, a lamp test drive a lamborghini or like you know yeah. or a you know bmw or something you know whatever or porsche i don't know anything about cars so i'm just like right. you know, but yeah. but that's what You're it's like good. you know like when you when you uh when you get to travel and you get to play at venues like these, you know, I mean, that's what you're doing. It's like your test. I mean, of course, yeah, you can you can drive any car, you know, whatever. But you know, most of us will never be able to afford a Lamborghini or like you know, like a crazy car like that. You know, so when when we get to play in venues like these, you know, we get to. It's like it's that's the equivalent, you know, of 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 like test driving, you know, just a crazy awesome yeah. souped it's up like the, sports the car. ultimate practice amp a giant pa system in yeah. a huge room with amazing acoustics exactly yeah sometimes sound check is really fun just oh yeah in there. just to be able to hear your instrument you know through a through a sound like that and then in a in a room that's that's you know was made for i mean you know acoustically treated and made for music i mean when you get to hear that it's inspiring you know because it doesn't sound like that at my house. Yeah, you <laughs> you played know? some huge rooms like the Sydney Opera House and then Lincoln Center. And yeah. what, what's your favorite, oh, most like gosh. amazing experience pl- in terms of playing a room? Oh, or what, what was one of the good ones? I don't know, man. The you know uh, Seegerstrom's beautiful. Yeah, of course. You know all the the normal stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean Cerritos. This this hall is this hall's great. It's perfect. <laughs> it isn't sounds it? fantastic. Um, Davies Symphony Hall. You know, uh, that's another yeah, one that's of my favorite. I'm just trying to name all the California places <laughs> because we're in California right now. But um, but yeah, but even overseas, you know, being able to like uh, in in Japan in Tokyo, there's a, a place called Orchard Hall. It's one of my all-time favorite um you know venues everything just sounds so amazing in there and you know uh paco de lucia did one of his famous solo concerts you know there and uh, just everything you play just sounds amazing so yeah i mean it's what a trip it's uh you know the opportunity um you know to be able to to play on a stage like this you know with that type of sound reinforcement that type of uh you know just playing in the room you know because as as you know um you know the room is just as much a part of your instrument as as what you what you're holding you know so it's all about resonance it's all about you know um vibrations and energy and and that all adds to the experience it all adds to the music it adds to uh to the way you feel the music, the way you play the music, the way you perform, you know, and which all adds to the experience. And, um, you know, and that, that's why, that's why for me, I love touring so much. It's because I'll never get a chance to play in a room like this. You know, if I'm just, if I'm just home, you know, in, in Hawaii, I love being home, of course, you know, with my family and so all that. So tough but being in Hawaii. It's yeah, not that Hawaii's a bad, <laughs> bad place by, by any means, but you know but yeah but it's it's like uh you know i guess i guess the same would be you know if 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 you're a golfer of course you probably have a few good courses you know around around your house but if you get to travel the world and play in some of the top courses in the world i mean that's you know that's just it's so amazing 
Yeah, that's crazy. Real quick, do you have any tips for the uh, the thumb? I saw you playing like melodies kind of with the thumb. Yeah, that- well, the um, I like using the thumb because I get the most, uh, um, I get the fattest tone with my thumb, you know, versus my um, my index finger. So this is my index versus if I use my thumb. Um, right. And then I can do things where I can, uh, you know, change the position of, of what part of the nail of my thumb. So I can get a very fat sound. I can get a thinner sound. So both of those are with the thumbnail. Yeah, though that's all with my thumb, you know, just depending yeah. on, on how I attack the string. The first one sounds so warm, it almost doesn't yeah. sound like a nail. It is, this to me is like a... You know when guitar players turn their uh, pick around and they use the kind of the, the rounded side of the pick yeah. and they kind of angle it? Yeah, to me, that's that's what I was trying to go for there. And you can really hear the difference when you're plugged in. So, so that's the... Versus this. Right? right? And then I can use the fleshy part, which gives me even more, even more warmth. Yeah. That was a nice little sweep there. Oh, yeah. That? Yeah. That's an Ingve Malmsteen read. <laughs> yeah. Mm. His diminished thing there. Um, yeah, so, so my thumb, you know, my thumb is kind of like... I, I, I love it because it allows me to do do things like that and then I can uh, I can use it in an up and down stroke like a tremolo like a pick that's awesome you know and then if, of course if I wanted more of a flurry of notes I could do that but if it needs to be more controlled then I use a combination of like my thumb and my index or my thumb and my middle you know then it's a, yeah. amazing So that's uh, that's kind of how I get around that, and then uh, and then sometimes if I'm, you know, then I like I like the I like the finger style stuff, of course, you know, uh, um, these voices, you know, using using uh, using all my fingers. Beautiful. like you know you can really like having just the four strings and you know having a, you can dedicate one finger to each string and and really draw out you know the the the, the notes that you want so yeah yeah you do so much on an ukulele well, i was thinking maybe we could take a listen to another one of your new songs which oh, yeah, is sure just insanity I, i'm wondering how i would pronounce it 
it's Hawaii, you know the language is so beautiful. Oh, right? Kilauea. Kilauea. That's yeah, what I was thinking. It's a it's a Hawaiian word. I was going to say killer whale or Kalua. Yeah. <laughs> Kilauea. Yeah. What does it mean? Yeah. So Kilauea is the name of the active volcano in, yeah. in on the Big Island. And I've uh, been there three times, but you know I'm so ignorant. It's, yeah. No. It's no, no. No. It's yeah. It's uh, it's that and that was um, yeah. That's a very interesting uh, track on the record. was just kind of the inspiration for that came from um, you know just trying to get a lot of different sounds out of the out of the instrument you know and I remember when I first heard Eruption by Van Halen and I just remember thinking How's, that's a guitar way how's he getting all that sound you know like what is he doing to his guitar to make all those sounds So the idea kind of came from that, you know, eruption, the idea of eruption, like a volcano erupting and just this explosion. And then uh, experimenting, you know, with, with just different tones on, on the ukulele and, and what I can do to, uh, to just kind of exaggerate that or kind of exploit that, and especially taking full advantage of the, of the effects, you know, that I had in the studio. Um, so that's kind of what that, where, where that came from. And, and to be honest, it was just a, it was just a completely improvised, you know, thing. And um, but yeah, it was so much fun to play. I mean, there, I, I played voicings and, and chords on that on that track that I'd never played before. You know, I was like so in the moment. I mean, there's the, one, one of the coolest sounds I I think that came off of that was was this. I love this. And again, it's yeah. you know with the distortion on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like that tension, that that grit, man. I just I just love that, you know. Uh, those kinds of sounds, the uh, the idea with the um, you know I I, I love I, I just I love that that whole thing. I mean, guitar yeah. players do it all the time. Sometimes it's overdone, but but I love it. The volume pedal. The bo- yeah. The That's swell, a cool the pedal, swash. the Hilton. Yeah, yeah, this I you know the reason I like this one is because I feel like um, there's no uh, there's there's no uh, signal loss you know when I when I go through this one um, I've tried so many of the different you know volume pedals out out there but yeah this one for me really I feel like it's so true and and pure but it also runs on twenty four volts. <laughs> that's there you go. That's, that's, prob- a catch. that's probably you know why yeah. but. It's so worth it to me. I mean, it's it's, and then you got to get used to it because if when when you click all the way down, it's super noisy. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So you really got to be careful. Like you got to get used to using it and stop it right before it hits that. Yeah, that would be loud through that Ferrari or the Lamborghini you were talking about earlier. (laughs) Yeah. When I first started using it, it was like, (laughs) it's like wow, that thing is so loud. But other than that, man, it's it's so it's so great. So yeah. So I I um. You know that that Kilauea piece. Yeah, I love the the tone of of the of the uke, and it, it just just um, I think it's just there's a lot of interesting elements to it. You know, but what I love mm-hmm. about it is it's just so ab- abstract. You know, it's just it's more about 
the the emotional content than you know really what's what's being played and just the dynamics of it like the way it builds and you know just the feel behind it so um you know, but I remember the first time I recorded, you know, when I recorded, <laughs> I took it home and I played it for my family. They're like, wow, what is, what, what is this? <laughs> you know, yeah. they were like, oh, are you feeling okay? <laughs> so, it's well, I was going to ask you, you know, you have a, you're one of these guys, you're doing 140 or more shows a year probably, and you have two young children. Yeah. I so have, what's that like? You know, I, I gotta be honest, man. It's, uh, yeah, it, it is, it's, it's, it's hard being away from them. You know, my, my sons are four and one and a half right now. And, uh, and it's tough, you know, um, but, um, but, you know, music's my passion. I mean, I, I love this and, and I still feel like, you know, I, I, I have, um, you know, I, I have some time to, you know, I, I have time when I'm home, oh, yeah. you know, the nice thing is when I'm home, I'm, I have nothing going on. That's so what people always forget. I can be touring musicians. When yeah. you're home, you don't have a nine to five. Yeah. And you know, and, and it's, it's funny, right? Because a lot of parents, you know, when they're, well, right now to my kids, well, my oldest one is in preschool, but my youngest one, you know, just goes, uh, he goes to like this you know this two-hour thing you know just just for like a the social aspect of it but so basically especially with my youngest one when i'm home you know i'm basically other than those two hours that he's in school from monday through friday you know i'm like there with him you know dropping him off picking him up you know we're just hanging out so that time i think um is is so is um you know it's truly just amazing quality time you know that i get to spend with them and and so i think it makes up for some of the time that i am gone but it's not like i'm gone for months you know hawaii is right in between one of like between america and japan where you've really established over there (laughs) yeah so it's it's actually a, a nice a nice thing and you know hopefully when they get a little older um you know, I get I, when, when I tour the when I tour like the West Coast, I'll be able to bring them with me, and then you know we can make a stop at Disneyland. You know, and I can <laughs> there you yeah go. take them out there, and uh, I think they'd enjoy that. So. Well, you know, you got to get one of them playing bass too. Yeah. Well, you know, they love they love music. Um, I don't know if they're going to be professional musicians or anything. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I just the, the most important thing for me is I I want them to um, to have an appreciation and love. You know, for the arts that's that's my that's my as long as they appreciate and have a respect for the arts and have an understanding that you know um uh you know a a bit of of uh you know just be educated you know in that sense um then i'll be happy and whatever it is that they want to do i just want to make sure that they find something they're passionate about and you know and just work hard at it you know i'm a firm believer in hard work and you know and just there's no substitute for, you know, for hard work and practice and experience and, um, and yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of the bottom line, you know. You're in that category of people who have really put in an insane amount of work and mm-hmm. coupled with amazing talent. I wanted to mention some of the other people in that regard that you've worked with, such as Yo-Yo Ma. Tell me about working with him. Oh man, that's so funny. I was just watching some videos of him last night uh, on on YouTube. You know, the uh, it was the goat rodeo sessions. You know, and um, yeah, the, the, what a what an amazing project. You know, it was he, uh, him along with uh, Chris Thiele, Stuart Duncan, and Edgar Meyer. You know, all my favorite musicians. Yeah. You know, the four of them together. It was uh, just. Um, 
I can see you and Chris Thiele starting something demonic. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> demonic duo. Yeah, I would, man. I would love to, you know, do something with him. I mean, yeah. he's he's so amazing. I mean, just his 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 uh, sense of, um, I don't know, man. He just, like, he comes from a whole different, different. Um, I'm sure you'll be hooking um, up with him. Yeah. <laughs> Prairie Home Companion. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I've been I've been following, you know, I've been following the Prairie yeah. Home Companion shows and yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, I got to work with uh Garrison Keeler uh you know when he was hosting his show uh years ago and but I I love you know, and of course I mean he's a legend, you know, he's an icon. But I, I think, you know, Chris stepping in, I think he was a perfect guy for that. I think he's bringing something uh, very current and modern, and um, and bringing something very different. That's that's very much him, you know. Uh, that's that's just his um, his his you know all the music that he's creating for the for the show. It's just it's phenomenal. It's just incredible, and the musicians that he brings on the uh, you know the um just his uh i don't know i'm if you can't tell i'm, I'm yep. just a big fan yeah he's you know? the man and you know what i have one thing i love that a trait you guys both share is you play bach on your instruments oh, him on mandolin I, <laughs> and you on the ukulele i only play like one or two i yeah, mean he's, still, he's recorded you know he's recorded like you know i think all the fugues and i mean a, a ton of them he did a whole bach record Can you know it was a sample of, of that bach do you remember it oh Great. man i haven't played it in ages but uh That's another example of that campanella. Yeah. Because you could play. You know, that that would be the normal way to play. But. Yeah. Yeah, that harp sound is so great. Yeah. Something like that. It's, yeah. Awesome. I'll work it up. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's Thank just you. pretty close. And the reason I, I worked that up was uh, a few years ago, when was this like maybe seven or eight years ago, there was a documentary that they were doing on uh, on Box Music. So, you know, they had guys like Bela on it. You know, I think Edgar was on it. Chris Thiele was on it. Um, who else was on there? They had Philip Glass, uh, Hilary Hahn, Joshua Bell. And, uh, and the, uh, the director, you know, um, actually contacted me and he was like, you know, he really liked what I was doing. And he, he asked me, he, do you do any, any Bach music? Because I'm doing this documentary on Bach and I really want to include you, but it's gotta be all of, you know, all of his stuff. So I was like, ah, not at the moment, you know? So he's like, do you think you can work something up? So I was like, um, yeah, by when? And he's like, well, I, well, I, I live in D.C. and I know you're going to be in D.C. in two weeks, you know, yeah. so when you come up, we're hoping to film it. I was like, OK, all right. So, you know, I, I was researching, you know, researching a, a bunch of pieces. And uh, yeah, the, the two part invention, you know, number four really spoke to me. And uh, and it just, uh, 
you know, I knew it was going to be very difficult, but uh, but it was something I, I it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up, you know. So yeah, well, that's a nice arrangement, man. You did a good job. Oh, thanks, that. man. Well, I wish I could remember the whole <laughs> thing. So I gotta dig up. I gotta dig up the music on that again. So what's Jimmy Buffett like, and what the heck are you doing with him? <laughs> oh, man, Jimmy was awesome. It was that was uh, you know because the first the first band that I went on tour with after the YouTube thing was Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. So I went on the road with them and you I were like that, supporting them or, uh, or yeah, well actually jammed. yeah yeah playing in the band so oh, okay, they, they didn't cool. have an opener or anything so um, I had to learn like. I don't know, 11, 10 or 11 of their tunes, which was, I mean, if, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with their music, man. It is just so far out, you know, but it was one of the most inspiring experiences of my life, you know, being able to, um, you know, being able to, to trade, you know, trade with monsters like Victor and Bela. And at the time, Jeff Coffin was with them. And of course, Future Man. Uh, you know, Future Man, his sense of rhythm is just, is so far out, man. He is so beyond, I mean, he's, yeah, he's really, really years, hundreds of years into the future. I mean, his his way of thinking, his whole mind, you know. How, um, how so? I mean, I've seen him, but... He, I mean, there were moments in the, in, in the song where... Like as we're playing, I would I would literally have to stop listening to the drum part because it was so out that I I would get lost if I started listening to the drums I I'd, I'd be I'd be a goner you know in the tune so even in the in even um, the the for me like what what always kept me grounded was uh, was Victor Victor's bass you know. Um, until he would start going out, then I would just listen to Bela's comping, you know, but, but it was like, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, but it's incredible because he'll do things like, like, you know, uh, I mean, well, they didn't really have any songs in, in, in four, but say if it was like a song in six or five, like he will do things. So like within the, within the measure, he, he subdivides. So yeah. So it's like, you know, say it's five, four, what he'll do is he'll take that five four and Bela does this too. Bela is a master at doing this, but he'll take that that one bar of five four, and then he will he will subdivide within that five. He'll subdivide seven, but his one always comes back on you know the beginning of the next bar. Or uh, and Bela is amazing at this too, but like he'll take within that one beat. And he'll subdivide that one beat as like, well, you know, like triplet would be the would be the most obvious, like, right, you know, you do like a triplet, but he'll do like five or seven or, you know, or I mean, it's it's just those guys like some prime numbers, man. That's brutal. (laughs) It's, It's ridiculous, you know, but they can go in and out of that. And that's why. So sometimes when when um when Future Man starts doing that, you know, I I can't I I got to. I can't follow. I gotta it's like, like yeah. no, don't go there, don't go there, because you're gonna get lost, you know. Um, but yeah, but he's he, but yeah, those guys are just they're so it, it's so effortless for them, you know, to do that. 
and um and uh, so for me that was like that was an eye-opening experience because i had never played music like that and you know and i think a lot of this record you know you hear a lot of the different time signature <laughs> changes and you know totally. that that all of that um you know was uh you know all of that stuff i was never playing that before that tour so you know they they were they're a huge inspiration for me i mean you know i and and will always be i mean those those guys you know i mentioned jerry douglas earlier you know guys like mark o'connor um you know edgar meyer chris steely yo-yo ma Stuart duncan you know all those guys Yngwie Malmsteen Yngwie Malmsteen <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Hendrix uh, yeah, yeah just so many great musicians out there and and um, and I, I just I just love it all man yeah I mean I'm I just love learning you know and just like watching you and you showing me some of those things you know it's just inspiring you know like I see that I'm like oh man that's cool if I can apply that to the ukulele you know in some way well, you've been yeah. inspired since age four, I think, when you first picked it up. So that's pretty incredible. Yeah. So what inspired your song Tritone, other than possibly the interval of a tritone? Oh, yeah. So that was, um, it was based on a, um, on a ukulele concerto that was written by a contemporary classical composer named Byron Yasui. And uh, it was a project I did last year with the Hawaii Symphony and the Buffalo Philharmonic. So, um, yeah, so wow. he composed this 30-minute piece uh contemporary classical piece for ukulele and orchestra and my job was to learn it and uh, perform it with the symphony so yes it was it was crazy because um you know contemporary classical i love classical music but contemporary classical music is is very different you know it's very atonal there's a lot of things um you know i think in a lot of ways it's more conceptual it's more like it's it's very uh it's it's more about the the thought process and the, the, the themes more so I think than well, well I guess I guess it depends but I shouldn't I shouldn't um, overgeneralize but I know what you mean it's yeah. like it's not some of it is not really necessarily singable in terms mm. of yeah, a melody like traditional mm. classical music. yeah yeah it's 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 not yeah the kind of music we're used to hearing but uh, but so it was a great challenge and what I did was uh, I wanted to take a little bit of that experience and that um, you know uh, that element of contemporary classical uh, music you know into the new record and as well so I actually took pieces of the ukulele part from the first movement and we arranged it you know we arranged it in a way that you know where it would work for bass and, and ukulele and just kind of reharmonized it and all of that so it's very different from the actual you know orchestral version but um, but and then we also took uh, some of the themes like the minor second and the uh, the campanella idea and the tritone idea. And the reason those two specific intervals were used in it is because with the with the you, we have the major second here, right? Yeah. So you have the major second. You have the um, uh, you have the major second, the major third, right? You have the um, uh, let's see where you have the perfect fourth, right? You have the perfect fifth, you have the sixth, right? And you're supposed to have a, I guess you don't have the major, well, I guess, yeah, so, so, uh, so the major seven kind of in the, in, in a way is like the minor second, right? You know, because they'd be, they'd be like this, except an octave, but you know, I mean, right. uh, I mean, you know, not the same, not the right octave, but you know, so you kind of, you kind of have that. So the, uh, so the, the minor second and the tritone interval are the only two 
intervals, kind of, you know, if you think of it that way, there are only two intervals that aren't represented in the open strings of the ukulele, which is, which is kind of strange because in, in most string instruments, you know, you don't have the major second, right? So the major second, right, which is, which is kind of, which makes the ukulele, I think, unique. So yeah. because of that, he wanted to really exploit the minor second and the tritone because it's not in the tuning of the ukulele. So, so that's where it started with, with this little riff here, you know. And, um, and, you know, you got the tritone here. And kind of we were talking about that major, that major seven, minor second thing, you know. One, two, three. This third note becomes, uh, makes, creates the major seven between this and the, and that, right? You got the major yeah. seven. So that, so that is represented there. And it's just this little, that, that kind of, that riff. Um, and then, uh, then it goes here. Again, you know, utilizing the, the the tritone sound, and then we did uh, we did things like, you know, that kind of the minor second. You know, like I love that sound. Delicious sharp dissonance. Yeah, yeah, just dissonance galore. But then once, and then uh, and then the other part is right. There's a, then. Then, then when when it gets to the um, the the part that sounds like the solo section, that is actually a whole section of the first movement just extracted. So it starts off. I'll play it slow. It was all written out. So, so, so yeah, so the concerto, the concerto was written out. So everything I'm playing is right off the music. You now, know? are you a sight reader or are you, I mean, that's not like a sight reader. Yeah. It would be a lot of work, even if one was a, <laughs> yeah, it, it was. And it was, it was a trip, you know, because you know, like how normally when you're reading, you know, when you're reading any kind of music, normally your ears will tell you, oh no, that's wrong. You know, and you kind of look look at it again, like, oh, okay, sorry, that I, I, that was a, you know, natural or whatever, right? So, uh, so your ears can usually tell you, but when I was learning this piece, because it was so dissonant, I couldn't tell by listening if I was playing a wrong note or not. So I would actually have to, I mean, I, you would have to like double check every note because if you hear something, you know, I'm like, really? Really? Wait, is that the right chord? You know, look at, looking at every note. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I got the F sharp, the C. Okay, the D and the F. Okay. Oh, all right. That's interesting. Yeah. Do they write? Is it just treble clef for a? It was for, all treble clef. Yeah, it was is that all how treble you clef. Read? Yeah, it was, it was all treble clef. Um, what does middle C sound like on your so, instrument? This is middle C. So oh, middle sorry. C is my lowest note. Right. Right. So middle C is the lowest note, and then you know, and I have one C above that here. And then I have another C above that. Yeah, and then so so that's my two octave range there. Yeah. But then I also have three extra frets above that C. So I have the C sharp, the D, and the, the E flat there. And yeah. So which is which is nice. Um, you know, especially C minor works really nice because I have the minor third as my highest note, and then the lowest is the root. So. 
Nice. <laughs> now you have um, a, you do, I mean, I've read about your outreach stuff that you do and I'm, I can just only imagine how inspiring you must be to kids and stuff. Well, what are you, what are you doing out there with music and you have a nonprofit organization oh, of your own? Yeah, I, I don't have an, I used to have a 501c3, but you know, as, and it was like kind of focused on, uh, you know, uh, music and arts and education, supporting that. And then also just encouraging you know kids to uh you know to find their passion and to not be afraid to you know to kind of empower them and 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 uh and um and also uh, a big part of it was uh was the the drug-free aspect of it you know because i've been drug-free my whole life and so i love sharing that with kids and kind of encouraging them to make that commitment you know um but uh yeah but you know but it was really tough because as you know with any 501c3 you know there's there's a lot of you basically got to hire a whole team, you know, to keep it running because of all the legal, you know, uh, involvement and all of that. So, so I, so I ended up just closing it down. But, um, but you still do these. Just, what do you do in these? Yeah. So now, so now, what I do is, uh, you know, I just go to schools, you know, without the nonprofit, and I just go and still do exactly what I what my mission, you know, was, and it's basically to inspire kids through music, you know, to show them that it's okay to be passionate about something and, you know, and to, uh, you know, and it's important to find something that you're passionate about, you know? So I like to kind of uh, share that with them, you know, so they can see how much I love music, how much I love the ukulele. But then also on the flip side of it, it's just, um, you know, kind of, uh, I think music really helps to break down walls and you know and break down these barriers so uh so use using music as a tool to kind of get them excited and be like wow hey that's cool you know and kind of open them up so that i can i can share with them you know the message of like you know find your passion you know study hard in school you know work hard at what you believe in and then you know and, and be drug free you know and explain to them i've been drug free my whole life and and that's one of the things i'm most proud of you know standing up here and getting to share that with you you know so you know so i want you guys to make that commitment so when you're my age you can stand up here and you can do the same thing you know for for you know for other kids that that you know that may look up to you you know you all have younger brothers or sisters or you know or maybe or even the underclassmen they all look up to you and you know you need to set a good example and uh you know just sharing things like that you know and there's then, a lot of adults who could take the same yeah. inspiration from you as well <laughs> oh no but then the other side is the the whole music you know the music and arts and education you know because uh, my, my big thing is you know we're it's not that we want we, we're not we we're trying to make everyone become professional musicians or not it's not about that at all you know it's just you you know as well as i do that music um you know it inspires it stimulates different parts of the brain it gives children and and students uh confidence you know it it um it nurtures them it uh it helps them to connect with other people in a way that words fail and uh and and the other thing is you know especially with with education you know we we put so much emphasis on PE, like physical education, you know, and, and it's so important. 
blah, blah, blah. But, you know, music and the arts, that's PE for the mind, you know. And, and when we're in school, you know, that's, that's what we're trying yeah. to develop. So, study after study proves yeah, that, how valuable mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. So. That's awesome, man. You're, you're super inspiring. Oh, Jay. thanks, man. You, you mentioned, uh, I read somewhere that you take inspiration from athletes, too, in terms of, like, yeah like you mentioned bruce lee and stuff oh yeah like um how so how do you apply that to your music or how does that manifest well yeah so it's it's really um i was uh i was um i remember when i was younger performing you know because I, I always loved performing you know it was just something i don't know i just i just love being in the music like that just like you know hearing myself over a PA system and connecting with people and just that energy that rush so I I would tell people like uh, I mean so I I remember I remember my goal was always to try to get in the zone and I remember thinking like yeah being in the zone is like just blocking everything out and just like being in my own world and and doing my thing and for for a long time I I thought that and then, uh, you know, when, when I was a kid, whenever I was performing or, or doing something, I always thought that was being in the zone. But then uh, at the time, Michael Jordan was, was uh, you know, was, I mean, he was, the Chicago Bulls were like, were like top. And I used to watch him play all the time. I loved watching him play. And then one day I was watching the, I was watching a game. I can't remember who they were playing, but it was that one game where he had scored like 35 points in the first half. I mean, everything he was throwing up was going in and everybody was just like what and then there was this one famous clip of him like he just threw threw another three-pointer in like from half court and it just went in and he just looked at the camera and you know shrugged just like i'm having a great day you know so i mean he had like two or three guys on him and everything and i mean they, no one could stop him and i looked at that and i thought man i mean you know michael jordan's always in the zone but that day he was just beyond i mean anything and and i remember and i remember realizing at that moment that when he was in the zone it wasn't about him blocking everything out and just doing his thing but when he was in the zone he became he was just so aware of everything like he knew where every single one of his teammates were on the court he knew where every single one of his opponents were he knew how many seconds were left on the shot clock i mean he just became super aware of everything you know and and so instead of blocking everything out being in the zone was taking everything in you you know and that's what changed my whole i mean it changed my whole approach to to performing and making music you know because it was the i what i thought was being in the zone was the exact opposite of what i needed to do you know i need i wasn't supposed to block everything out block out the audience block out the sound just do my thing but it was about opening up and taking everything in you know and it was just such a different experience you know when i started doing that because i just felt like wow now i feel like i'm connecting you know i'm connecting with with everything and uh and yeah that was uh such an epiphany and and so inspiring um you know um and i i know i mentioned bruce lee before too and he was another one because you know i used to watch all his movies and i just loved i used to read all his books you know his philosophy on martial arts and watch his interviews and all that and in a nutshell you know his whole thing was you know it, it just so happens that martial arts was his uh was his vehicle you know uh his art form 
but that philosophy i mean you know you could apply that to any field you know and his whole thing was you know it's not about like punching and kicking or you know this or whatever but all all it was is he was just expressing himself you know and that's what that's what his martial arts were you know bruce lee being bruce lee and uh, and i realized like wow that's that's what we need to do in any art form is just something that is that we feel so honestly and so sincerely inside it's expressing that you know whether our vehicle is a is a guitar or an ukulele or a piano or dance or a pen or you know a paintbrush or you know or your your words you know um, whatever whatever it is you know it's just you're expressing who you are and that's when and and when you can do that openly and honestly you know um and just and just in the most purest form you know that's when uh that's art you know and and i realize like that's what i need to do when i'm playing music is when i'm when i'm playing a song i need to take an emotion i need to take a feeling or a thought and just and embrace it and and just try to express that in its most purest form. You're totally inspiring me. I mean, I'm, yeah, no. <laughs> seriously, I'm going to go home and really work on that. I just played a gig the other night in Chicago with my uh, singer uh-huh. that I play with, Kathy Richardson, and we had like the best show I think we've had. And it was wow. that feeling, and it was exactly what you said. Mm. That I felt like we were listening and taking in the everything mm. all at once. Yeah, the other musicians the sound of levels the dynamics it was awesome. it was like a it was like we hit a new level and you you completely encapsulated what i was trying to understand what happened and i think yeah we michael jordan that thing <laughs> yeah you mj'd it man so you inspired me in that front also i have to go buy a pog now <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, they're cool man and you're welcome to plug in plug it in and, and listen to it and see what it sounds like yeah oh it's so cool guitar. man well, that's but, nice of you. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, we'll play a little, so, little something. Yeah, let's do it, man. Take a little, little fade out jam. What's what's a nice easy one that we could? Anything. More weeps. Oh yeah. Okay, shoots, you do that in man. C minor. Yeah, that's in C minor. This is uh, my kind of beater guitar. I've, you know, I would have brought a nicer one, but I wanted to be able to carry everything in one trip through the door. <laughs> so I brought my, I brought my trunk guitar, the beach guitar. Oh no, sounds great, man. There's probably sand inside of this thing. <laughs> one, two, three.
as promised. That's Josh Smith off his new album, Still. A little bonus track for you to hear. Josh went deep with us when we jammed with him on episode 18 of this show, way back. That was about a year ago. Thank you so much, Jake Shimabukuro, for sitting down with me, jamming with me, and sharing so much. I don't know about you guys, but I thought it was very inspiring how he was talking about being in the zone. He described it, finally, what it is. Let's hear some more buttery lines from Josh. Yeah, I'm loving that. Thank you again, Guitar Player Magazine, guitarplayer.com, for supporting this podcast. Thank you, Audio Technica, and thank you to the new E-Series headphone, in-ear headphone monitoring systems from them. You gotta love it. They are great. You can win your own by heading to guitarplayer.com slash audio-technica. I got a couple shows this weekend, Friday the 13th in Connecticut with Jefferson Starship, the Ridgefield Playhouse, I think that's in Danbury. Then we're playing on Long Island on Saturday night. The Riverhead, something like that. Cool theater out there. Played there before. Thanks to Zoom for the recorder. I use a Zoom H6 to record these things when I helicopter into places. Yeah, Josh Smith is a lifer. Jake Shimabukuro is a lifer. And so are you, I imagine. So keep it alive till you're 95, everybody. (laughs) 